1 Samuel chapter 14. I do want to let you guys know that in a couple of weeks, two weeks from today on the 4th, we are going to start our summer series. So we're going to take a break from Samuel and we're going to be doing a summer series this year on Psalm 119. And we're going to, it's going to be a 12-week series. I'm calling it Staying Focused. And um, Psalm 19, 119, if you haven't read it, start reading it right now. We're going to have 12 different guys teaching it. And uh, me and uh, Pastor Gary will be the bookends. I will start it off. Pastor Gary will finish it off. And in between there, I, I have this little note that I wrote down. I put Young Bucks. And I have all youngsters basically going to be teaching in between. And I am just so excited for how God has blessed us with so many that are being raised up that God is going to be using. And I'm excited. Some for the first time will be teaching behind the pulpit. And I am excited for them, you know. Um, some have taught in other places and they'll be teaching here. So we'll see how that goes. And so... 1 Samuel chapter 14. What we saw a couple weeks ago, last week we didn't get into 1 Samuel just because of all that's been going on. And um, Samuel, or not Samuel, Saul, King Saul has come into his own. And we saw that in chapter 13 that uh, he uh, kind of, or chapter 12, 11, 12, he kind of came into his own. He, he kind of took ownership of being the first king of Israel. And then in chapter 13, we did see that his son Jonathan was introduced into the storyline, into a narrative that we are going through First Samuel. So because Samuel or Saul had a son that was now army age or military age, um, you had to be about 20 years old to get into the military. So Saul is probably somewhere around 40 years old at the time. He's been a king for at least a couple of years, if not a little longer uh, in that time frame. But what we have seen in Saul, and we saw it last time a couple weeks ago in chapter 13, we began to see some character flaws in this first king, Saul. Flaws that will continue throughout his reign as king of Israel. But this is what the people wanted. They wanted a king, and so God gave them what they wanted. And not that the other kings would be flawless. This king, he just had some character flaws that, that would just get him in trouble and, and get the people distressed. But again, the people got what they wanted. The character flaws that we see in King Saul will be contrasted by the character traits or qualities that we see in his son, Jonathan. Again, Jonathan was introduced to us a couple of weeks ago, but Jonathan is one of those guys that you just fall in love with. He is one of those guys that you want to emulate because of just the qualities that this man has, his character his heart, not only for the Lord, but for people. Him and David, King David, will become best buds. But Jonathan is just one of those guys that, that you see, and we're going to see him even tonight, that you're just going, wow. What an amazing man. Compared to his dad, <laughs> night and day. 
If you remember, we saw this in our last study as far as the character traits that he had in his dad's character flaws. We saw that Jonathan was the one that attacked the, the Philistine garrison. And it was his dad who took credit for it. And again, you see Jonathan not saying a word about it. He didn't like, really, Dad? Are you serious? I'm the one that did it. He didn't do that. He just let his dad go, go through it all. And he never stepped up. He never, he never like brought his dad down in a way to make him look bad. If anything, he was going to make him look good still, even though his dad had taken the credit for it. And even though all of that, uh, even through all of that, the people, better yet, the army of, of Israel, <clears throat> through this attack that they had earlier, and the Philistines came against them, they became distressed. They were hard-pressed. The people were so discouraged at their king. <clears throat> even though he was taking credit for it, he was still trying to lead from behind from another place, and he just wasn't there. And this fear, or better yet, lack of confidence that the people had caused them to retreat. And it wasn't just a regular retreat. It was like they were running for the hills. They were running for the holes. They were running for anything or anywhere they could go and hide. And it was just a shame that this strong army that God wanted to use were, were now in a place of, uh, of distress. And most of that had to do because of their desire for a king. They, they, they wanted a man to lead them. And guys, that is always a dangerous thing when you look to a man to lead you in that way because man will always let you down. And God, even though he let them have a king, he was still going to be sovereign over them. He was still going to have his hand upon them. But Saul, Saul would be the one that would be leading them and they would look to him. And one of the character flaws that we saw in, in chapter 13 was the fact that when he tried to go and be religious with everything after the whole thing, he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. He, he, he stepped into a position that was not his. He was king. He was not a priest. And yet he crossed that line and he wasn't supposed to. And even when he did that, he blamed everybody else except himself. And that's one of those character flaws that Saul was not a man that could humble himself. He wasn't a man that would take the responsibility. He would, he, he would blame everybody else. So much so that, that when Samuel came to him, he blamed the people, that they were pressuring him to do this. He even blamed Samuel for being late of not getting there. He even blamed the enemy. And through it all, Samuel told him, you've been foolish in what you've been doing here. And the kingdom that had been entrusted to him just a few years earlier was now going to be taken away from him. And it was downhill from here on out. Oh, he would have victories here and there. And by God's grace, he would get them through. But the kingdom was no longer going to be his in that sense. God was already looking for somebody else. And so in chapter 14, there's a lot of reading. We're going to get through this whole chapter, hopefully. 
Um, there's a lot of reading, and so let's start in verse 1, the first 15 verses. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his ar- armor, Come, let us go to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahai, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Boaz, and the name of the other was Senna. The front of one faced northward, opposite Michmash, and the other southward, opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Then go, for I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders were trembling and the earth quaked so that it was very, a very large trembling. Man, oh man, when, when, when we decide to step out, God will shake the earth if he has to, to be on our side. Isn't that amazing? But what we see here, what we have here is two different perspectives, two, two different viewpoints between Saul's son, Jonathan, 
and King Saul himself. The army of Israel was vastly outnumbered by the Philistines. And what we see here in verses 2, 1 and 2 are these two different perspectives because we see that Saul, he is very content with the odds. He knows that he is outnumbered. So what is he doing? He is over by Gibeah and he is kicking it under the pomegranate tree. He is saying, why am I going to go out there and fight this battle if I'm already outnumbered? Why don't I just sit here and just not do anything at all? <laughs> why, why stir the pot? Why cause graves? Why, why step on the hornet's nest? <laughs> Let me just play it safe. That's his perspective there. And some would say, well, that's the right thing to do after all. Knowing the odds, wouldn't you just like not do anything and just stay in your place knowing that you are outnumbered out there? Just play it safe. Don't put yourself out there. Because if you put yourself out there, you're going to be defeated. And so this almost seems like, well, this is common sense. If you're outnumbered. Now, I would say that most of the time, common sense is the best thing that you could ever have or use. It, it for the most part, rules the day. God has given us common sense in a lot of areas. Common sense normally keeps us from getting in trouble. I don't know about you, but... I hate being in trouble. I hate getting myself in situations. So oftentimes I do play it safe to even to to miss out on certain activities or adventures, you know. I, I, I am one of those that likes to play it safe. And so as I'm reading this, I'm being convicted in a lot of ways because sometimes I am like a Saul. It's like, man, there's so much battle out there. Why even go and fight? I'm much, I, I should just stay low, play it, play it safe in a lot of ways. Now we can look at what Jonathan is about to do and think, you're going to get yourself killed, young man. Don't be a hero. You're being foolish by, by taking a chance like this. You are so outnumbered. Why even go out there? This is not common sense for a Jonathan to go and step out there because it looks like if he does something like this, something so foolish, something so dumb, (laughs) he's going to get himself killed and his armor bearer. Now, his armor bearer was not like, like golfers that have a caddy, you know. It's just like walking around with them. No, an armor bearer, he, he was skillful at, at war. I, well, I'm sure caddies, I just think of Happy Gilmore, but <laughs> I'm not a golfer. I'm sure caddies know what they're doing too. But this, like an armor bearer, no, he was skillful as well. He knew how to carry the armor and how to use the armor as well. And so he's taking somebody that knows what they're doing, not just some slub, you know, that's like carrying his armor. It's like, what do I do now? He knew exactly what he was doing too. Now, there is a difference between being offensive 
and being defensive. Not that common sense is to be thrown out the window. It's about knowing what God wants in a particular situation. Because oftentimes when you are walking with the Lord and you know the situation that's ahead of you, it doesn't always make common sense or doesn't always make sense. But God is calling you to do something that is out of the ordinary, out of your comfort zone to say, hey, you need to go in this direction. And this is why even before I started, I mean, when you are regularly in the Lord, walking in the Lord, being steadfast in the Lord, in his word, in fellowship, things like that, then when he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, but is aligned with his word, then you are more on the offensive than you are on the defensive. Your heart is to go and take ground instead of just kicking it and doing absolutely nothing. You see, in, 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 we see these two people, one who says, let us go over, let us go, and the other one that is just sitting there. You have one who, who, is, who is offensive on the offense. He's going to go against the enemy. He is, he is going out to, to, to action. And then you have those who are on the defensive that just sit around and do nothing. And most of the time, those who sit around and do nothing that are on the defense lose more battles than they win because the enemy, the Philistines here, they weren't just going to wait it out either. They were going to be on the offensive. They were going to go and go after Israel. So Jonathan, who is on the offensive, is saying, I'm going to go attack them first. It doesn't make sense to us looking back. But I could guarantee you at that moment, he was not acting foolishly. He knew what the Lord wanted for them. He understood that God was on their side. And to, for him and his armor bearer, those guys didn't have a chance against those two guys. Whereas Saul, on the other hand, is just sitting, doing nothing, going, I, I, I don't think I want to go out there. And these verses and verses... Three to six here kind of shows us the difference between Saul and Jonathan. Saul, in one sense, had a form of godliness because verse 18 tells us that this Ahijah was the priest. He was hanging out with Saul. And so he has this form of godliness, but the other one has faith. Jonathan has faith to go out and do what he is supposed to do. This, this high priest that is the, the great-grandson of Eli, the, the debunked or, or, or the disgraced priest, this priest is hanging out with Saul and he has the ephod. And the ephod was, was almost like a vest that, that the priest wore and just kind of hung over them. And it was almost like a breastplate. It had... You know, something on back and something in front. But it had these, these different kinds of jewels or whatever it was. But it, 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 it stood right here in the front. But on it also was the Urim and the Thurim. And the Urim and the Thurim was what makes or helps the priest make 
important decisions. I don't know if they were like dice that you took off and threw, but when they cast lots, oftentimes that is what they used. And it's interesting because we'll see a little later that that they use it, and it, 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 it always came about, this is what God, when you threw them out, it helped you make these decisions because God was in it. In it. I don't know exactly how that worked, and I don't, I'm not advocating for gambling and things like that. It's like, yeah, go and shoot dice, and God will give you... This was different. This was different. I don't want you guys thinking, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to call my dice Urim and Thurim, you know, and I'm going to... It's like, come on, God, you've got to be with me here. But this was something that God used in the Old Testament with these guys. And so that's what Saul has. And he, so he has this form of godliness. But as we will see, he doesn't have the faith to really go out and do what he is supposed to do. Because here we have Jonathan and his armor bearer who believe that their God is able to deliver. That God will work on their behalf. You see, he is on the offensive. He, he is looking in front and saying, God, you're going to go before us. So he's already looking at this battle. And to him, he already has the victory. And he's telling this guy, hey, let's go up. Let's go do this thing. Whether we have a lot or whether we have a few, it's, no, it's not a big deal. I don't think he's a, he's a fool here. <laughs> If anything, he is working on faith. And it's interesting that, that we have this, this little valley that they're going to go from, from where, where they're at in Gibeah area to, to Michmash, these two places, and there's these two sharp rocks. And one of them faced, faced the north, and the other one faced the south this way. And so it was going to be going through this little valley th- towards Mishmash. And one of them was, was facing... Gibeah and the other one, Mishmash. And, and Boaz means shining. And Senna means thorn or thorn bush. And even in that little picture there, we, we, we even have a picture of these two men. Jonathan would brighten up and lift up the nation of Israel while Saul became a thorn in the side to Israel and hurt Israel. They seem to be opposite, as opposite as north and south is. And even though Saul had the priest and the 600 men all around him, and Jonathan only had his armor bearer, Jonathan was in a much better position because he was concerned with the things of God. Well, Saul was concerned about himself <laughs> and his reputation. And that's what we see throughout this, his life. The reason Jonathan didn't tell his father about going and doing this thing or anybody else was because his dad would probably ta- try to talk him out of it. Even though he knew that this was what God wanted for him. And guys, this is where, again, where us as believers, when we are in the Word of God, and God is taking us out of our comfort zone, you will have those people that will tell you you're foolish. You shouldn't go do these things. (laughs) Are you crazy? Do you know how dangerous it is? Do you know how dumb you're going to look if you go out and you tell people about Jesus out in Stater Brothers? 
you know, you got to see these people again. <laughs> so see, sometimes it's much better if you just don't tell anybody, but if God's speaking to you to, to be obedient to what God has called you, because even good-hearted Christians will try to talk you out of these kinds of things. And we need to be careful with that. We need to understand that if God has called us to do the things of God, to step out in faith, that we would go and do those kinds of things and not allow other people to tell us what, it, what we're to do. I like the fact that, that Jonathan refers to these Philistines as uncircumcised. To them, they were heathen. They were making a mockery out of the things of God and out of the nation of God. And he says, let's go after these uncircumcised people. If God is in this, then they, they don't have a chance. They don't stand a chance against us. Whether they have a full army or not, just us two against them, we are a majority with God. And the victory would be a foregone conclusion to them. And so when we look at verses 7 to about 15, we see that, that after they've talked about it, they're saying, what do you think, bro? Let's go. I love the fact that in verse 7, the armor bearer says to him, do what is in your heart. Do what is in your heart. Now, that, would, that could be a dangerous thing to tell people. And some people, because I've, I heard this pastor one time say, hey, love Jesus with all your heart, with everything you've got, and then go do what you want. And people would say, well, that's kind of dumb. That's kind of foolish. But you see, I understand that mindset. Not that I would tell everybody, because there's certain people I would never tell that to. <laughs> Follow your heart. No. A person like Saul, I would never say, hey, follow your heart. Go do what your heart's desire. Because Saul was a very selfish man. He worried too much about himself. And there are people that even good-hearted Christians that I would never say, hey, just follow your heart. Go do what you think is right. No, some of those people scare me. And it's like, no, no, don't move. Don't do anything. And I'll tell you why. Because just knowing them you know that they're not in their word on a regular basis. They're not seeking the Lord. They're, they're making decisions that are foolish in the past and it has just haunted them throughout their life. And it's like, you know, if you were in your word on a regular basis and seeking the wisdom of God, you wouldn't be getting yourself into certain situations. And so there are people that I would never say that to. Now, somebody like Jonathan, you go do what, what, what you want to go do. There are people that, that have asked me, man, you know, I have this decision to make and I know their heart. I know where they're at with the Lord. I know their faith. I understand where their, their heart is all the way around. I said, go do whatever one, whichever one you want. Go do it. Why? Because you will be in the will of God whether you go this way or whether you go that way. You see, you couldn't tell Saul, hey, follow your heart. Go do as your heart desires the outcome wouldn't have been the same. But this man, this armor bearer, was close to Jonathan. He knew his heart for the things of God. He understood his heart. He was willing to die with him if that's what had to happen. I am with you in this. 
He knew that Jonathan wasn't going to lead him astray. He knew that it wasn't a selfish thing. He knew that that Jonathan wasn't doing this to, to make a name for himself. He understood that. To him, it wasn't crazy. It wasn't crazy to go do this. They were stepping out in faith. People who are on the defensive, for the most part, are going to be losing battles. And those are the people that you just don't say, just follow your heart. No, you, you, seek the, you seek God. You seek His Word. And then wait until He speaks. And oftentimes those people cannot wait. They wait a day, a week, and they're going, God hasn't said something, i got to go do it. It's like, foolish. you got to wait until God says go. Then you go. You know these people because oftentimes the decisions that they're making are, 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 are hurting them and they're hurting the families. They're, hurting, they're, they're putting themselves in, in, in dumb situations. On the other hand, those who are on the offensive, they are normally winning victory and having victory in their life because these battles that they, they are battling, they're having victory because they're, they're prepared. They have their armor on. They're ready. They, they, they have the armor with them, they have been prayed up and, and, and they're ready to move and to go. And their, cha- and their choices, the choices that they're making are wise choices. The action that these two were, were taking was dependent on their faith, not on their fame. They, they, they didn't have this far-fetched idea. no. It, it, it was faith. You know, I think oftentimes faith, faith, people think of faith as just thinking of the, the, the craziest thing and then go doing it, see if God will, will be in it. And that's not faith. That's presumption. That's presuming that God, God will do that. People, there's people that just jump and they say, okay, God, you've got to take care of it. And God never told them to jump. But God in His graciousness oftentimes carries us and brings us down. Faith is not crazy. Most of the people, if not all of the people that we read about in in Hebrews chapter 11, they weren't foolish. Yet they're in the hall of faith. They they didn't think of something crazy and went and did it. They, They were just following God and God led them and then you know, because when you read the stories, you're going, they weren't that spiritual. But on the hindsight, it's like, man, these people were, were, were people of faith. They just trusted. And I think oftentimes for us, when we're doing the will of God, when we are in tune with Him, and He's asking us or He's taking us out of our comfort zones and putting us in places, and we're just going, okay, Lord, this is You. It's not until we look back that we go, that was kind of crazy, Lord. But in the midst of it, you had a peace. You had, a, you, you, you had an understanding that he, the victory was already won. You were going with him because you, were, you know that you were walking with him right alongside of him. Jonathan and his armor bearer, there was no confusion here. They knew that they were supposed to attack. The only question that they had was, well, how are we going to execute this? We know that he's calling us to go over there. So if they say thus, if they say this, then we do this. If they say that, then we do that. 
Because if they don't call us up there and they come down to us, then we will fight them here and we'll beat them here. Or if they call us to go in there, it's like, done. Hey, we'll be right up there. We're going to kill you guys right now. You know I'm going to be up there and I'm going to kill you right now. But they weren't going in arrogance. I could guarantee you there wasn't arrogance. It was confidence. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. There was two against 20, and yet, even though it was a battle, they understood the promises, and I'm sure they were ringing loudly in their ears and in their minds and their hearts, where in Leviticus 26, 7 and 8, says, you will chase your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall uh, put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Deuteronomy 28, 7, it says, the Lord will cause his enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. They understood. They knew that they were being obedient. These caused the enemies to, str- to, to, to tremble. Two men sent these guys to flight. So much so as they were trembling that the earth began to quake and God intervened even just to show His power. And it caused these Philistines to melt away, as we read in verse 16. It says, Now now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul said, and then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and they were very, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, uh, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. The watchman that was in Gibeah, he sees what's going on in the distance and he sees that they're just melting away. They're just dispersing. They're leaving. See, they had killed these 20 in this half-acre 
parcel here, but there was more in the garrison and they began to flee because of the, the trembling and the earthquake and all that was happening around them. They began to disperse. And so now Saul, as it's made known to him, he understands this is somebody from our side who has gone over there. So call the roll and see who it is. And when it's his son and his armor bearer, I'm sure he thought, there goes my son again. Dang it, taking all the glory. My son is the one that's out there doing this. Just two guys. And so because of that, he understands, well, God must be in this. But you see, he's not the one that went and did all this. He was kicking it by the pomegranate tree. Other people were out doing the battle. And when he sees that now they have the upper hand, he decides now we can join in the battle. Let's go out there. And he even calls the the priest to bring the ark. And more than likely, he was calling for the ephod here. And it was the Thurum, the Urim and the, and the Thurum that, that he wanted the priest to acknowledge to, to, to start doing what they were going to do to see what God wanted them to do. And as the battle was raging on and they seen that, that, that they were winning, it's almost like he said, oh, we really don't need God. Pull your hand. Withdraw your hand from it. All of a sudden it's like, oh, no, it's not that big. We don't need God. And isn't that interesting? Oftentimes, even in our own lives, you know, we're crying out to God, God, what do I do? And then it kind of gets taken care of. It's like, no, no, sorry I even bugged you, God. It already fell into place over here. And that's kind of what I see what, what Saul is doing here. He's going, who, who could this be? What could be happening? And when he sees that they have the upper hand, he says, I'll withdraw your hand. We don't need God. But he joins in the fight after the fact. And once they have the upper hand, it sounds like the Hebrews who were out and among, still hiding in the, in, in the holes and in the different places, they started coming out to fight the battle. And there were some either by choice or they had been captured by the Philistines, that they were among the Philistines. They came and they turned on the Philistines. And again, all of a sudden, it's this all-out war that's happening and these guys are being chased away. And it says in verse 23... And it's a reminder because I thought, well, is it possible that Saul was taking credit for this whole thing? We are reminded, no, it was the Lord that saved Israel that day. It wasn't by, by Saul's mighty hand. It wasn't by his 600 men or those others that started coming out. No, the Lord was the one that had gone before them. In verse 26 or 24 to 46, it says... And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemy. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to, the, to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping so but but no man put his uh put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath but jonathan had not heard his father's charge his father charged the people with the oath therefore he stretched out his uh the end of his rod 
at, uh, that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now, would there not have been a greater slaughter among the Philistines? Now they had driven back the Philistines that day to Michmash, from Michmash to Ahalon. So the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil in the evening after the oath. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone on me this day. Then Saul said, Despite, uh, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do what seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he, God, did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come over here to all the chief, all you chief of the chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, who saves Israel, though it be my uh, Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots before, between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me, what have you done? And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, 
Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair on his, of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went their own way. Here we have a, a, a scenario, a decision that Saul had made before they had gone out to this battle that they were supposed to fast. And what a foolish decision it was. Here, when, when the army would need the strength to go and do the battle, he says, no, it's better to fast. And again, I'm thinking, are you trying to be religious? Because it's not working here. God is not in this fast. This is not a fast that, that God has called for you because he would not have done that to the, to the army of Israel. To take, because if it would have been from the Lord, the Lord himself would have been their strength and they would not have been faint. They would not have been wearied. They would not have sinned afterwards when they went and the, the, saw, the, 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 the oath was, was over. They would not have gone and slaughtered and eaten the, 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 the meat with the blood. They wouldn't have sinned that way. You see, when God causes a, a fast or an oath, he becomes their strength. He doesn't make people sin like that. So this was a foolish thing, once again, that Saul did. And if, it was trying, if he was trying to be religious at the time, then it wasn't a thing of God. Even his son, Jonathan, here, who never really comes against his dad, he says, my dad has acted foolishly. He has brought trouble into the land. How much better would it have been if he would have allowed us to eat? We would have been strengthened. He says, look, I've dipped the honey <laughs> I've dipped my rod and eaten. Look at my face. It's brightened up. The strength has, I, I've regained strength. And it reminded me again of that sharp rock, bows, brightened, shining. He, he, he brought strength, vigor back to the, to the people as he is lightened up because he had eaten. I wonder if, if, John, or if Saul being upset once again it's like at these people it's like well you guys have, have have done this man just roll a stone over me because again he's trying to save face with everything that happens it's everybody else's fault he didn't take the responsibility and and as a leader here instead of humbling himself saying this was a foolish thing that i did he could not go there and it's a dangerous place to be as leaders, but as people, as Christians, when we don't humble ourselves, when we do something that's not in God's will, that we would be able to repent and turn from that and even apologize to people. But Saul couldn't do that. It wasn't in him. That was another one of his character flaws, that he could not humble himself in that way. And when he finally asked God for counsel, it says that God didn't answer him. You see, when you make an oath, God does take it serious. And even though Jonathan didn't understand or didn't know about the oath, there was still something wrong because he had made this oath. And even though Jonathan was guilty for breaking the oath, even though he knew nothing about it, he was willing to die for it. And yet it was the people who realized how foolish 
this oath was that they came and stood up to the king, which you don't normally do, but they were willing to fight for him. And I wonder if Saul ever forgot about that. I don't think he did. Sometimes it kind of looks like he was jealous of his son. That his son was more popular than he was. That there was something about his son that he didn't have because he had some good quality traits. Good character traits and he had none. (laughs) And he was willing to lose his son over it just so he can save face. And then in verses 47 to the end of the chapter here. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the king of Zoab, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hand of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jehu, Jehushi, whatever, and Melchishua. And the names of his daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Mereb, and the son and the the younger was Michael. The son, the name of Saul's wife was Ahinam, the daughter of this person. And the commander of the army was um, Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle, Kish. Was, his, uh, was the father of Saul, and Ner was the father of Abner, um, was the son of Abiel. Now, there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw a, uh, any, young, any strong man or a valiant man, he took him for himself. And so we get a little summary here of how Saul reigned. It wasn't always bad. There was victories. Again, God's mercy, God's grace was upon the nation of Israel, even through this king. He had victories. Oh, he had some defeats, but he had victories. There was pressures from without and there was pressures from within. And many of the pressures from within was from his own doing because he would not humble himself. And again, this was one of his big character flaws, that he would not humble himself. And guys, that we would learn even from Saul here. That when we make mistakes, and we will, that we would be willing to admit them, to go to God first and foremost. This is why King David was a man after God's own heart, because he was willing to humble himself all the time. He was a man who quickly ran to God, not for religious reasons, but because he was true to God. And that's why Jonathan is another man that we can follow after. He had a heart for the things of God. He was willing to step out in faith. He wasn't foolish. He was willing to step out in faith. Whereas Saul was always out for his own self. And we need to be careful of those kinds of things in our lives. I want to encourage you that you would take 
stock in where you're at tonight as a believer, as a Christian? Are you a Christian who is always on the defensive? Are you a Christian that just sits around and waits for things to happen? I'm not saying that you have to cause things to happen, but are you on the offensive? Are you reading your word on a regular basis? Are you in fellowship on a regular basis, not just here, but with other Christians in your life? Are you willing to step out? Because you see, if you are on the defensive, I could guarantee you, you're probably losing more of your battles because you're sitting around the pomegranate tree waiting for God to act. Whereas most of the time, we are to be, if not all of the time, moving forward, taking ground. Not that we should be looking out, uh, going after the enemy. The enemy will show himself, don't get me wrong. But we are to be offensive. We are to be taking ground. We are to be standing. We are to be walking, not sitting around doing nothing. Guys, there is a time to sit and wait on the Lord, and there's a time to get up and walk. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I want you to take stock in your life. Even while we're singing this last song, maybe tonight that you would say, Lord, where am I at? Where's my walk with you? Am I more of a Saul or am I more of a Jonathan? Because if you're a Saul, you're in a dangerous place, people. (laughs) That your heart, that your desire would be, Lord, I want to step out in faith. I want to trust that you're going to go before me and win the battles for me. I want to trust that whether with a few or with many, I will move and I will move forward and not be still. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and praise you for this time, for letting us go through this chapter here and and just kind of giving us the contrast between Saul and Jonathan, Lord. Once again, showing us, Lord God, these character uh, traits and character flaws, Lord God, of these two men, those who acted by on faith and those who acted in their insecurities, Lord. And Father, go before us, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, I, I, I don't know where some of them are tonight, Lord, but I pray that you would challenge them. That, Lord, they would always be drawing close to you, Lord God, as we were singing earlier, just, just coming to the source being strengthened moment by moment, Lord, not just once a week, twice a week, Lord, from a Bible study, but that your word would be penetrating their lives and their hearts daily, that they would desire that in their lives. And so we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Blessed be your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, please don't leave. If you need prayer, even tonight, because you're going, gosh, I just feel like a Saul, man. Come and get some prayer. Um, And if you're feeling like a Jonathan and you need boldness and you just need 